So we're in week number five here on a series of messages on the Lord's Prayer. Estamos estudiando el Padre Nuestro. And we've been camping in the same text and just reaching out a little bit at a time. So today I want to invite you to turn again to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 9 through 12 this time. Mateo 6, del 9 al 12. We do have on the screen the page number of that text, which is connected to the Bibles in the back. La página indica donde están las Biblias atrás. So as you get to that place, it says 9 through 11. That's wrong. It's 9 through 12 today. Okay, so that's my bad. 9 through 12. I'm going to read it in both languages, as I always do. Voy a leer en los dos idiomas. And as we do this, again, we're learning to pray the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus is teaching us about prayer. And so Jesus here is speaking. Habla Jesús y dice lo siguiente. Ustedes deben orar así. Padre nuestro que estás en el cielo, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga tu reino. Hágase tu voluntad en la tierra como en el cielo. Danos hoy nuestro pan cotidiano. Perdónanos nuestras deudas como también nosotros hemos perdonado a nuestros deudores. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So mention the name Enron and what comes to mind. Si se menciona Enron, ¿en qué piensan? Perhaps you think of words like dishonesty, la deshonestidad, or greed, graft, la avaricia, corruption, la corrupción, swindlers, estafadores. But 20 years ago, the name Enron was not associated with any of that. Hace 20 años no era así. The name Enron was associated with success. Se asociaba con el éxito. Enron, if you don't know, was this massive uh, power company based in Texas, diversified in their investments. Era una gran empresa de electricidad en Texas. And in uh, the 1990s, for about six years in a row, Enron was named by Forbes magazine as one of the most innovative, forward-looking companies in America. Fue nombrada como una empresa muy innovadora. Seis años seguidos. Well, in 2001, we all discovered just how innovative Enron was being. Se descubrió lo innovador que era. Because in 2001, it was revealed that through a series of innovative, creative, but illegal accounting practices, Enron was what they call cooking the books. They were making it look like they had more money than they really had. De una forma creativa y legal, estaban maquillando los libros de sus cuentas. Specifically what they were doing, to put it in very simple terms, which is what I need because I don't understand accounting, very simply what they were doing is they were taking money that they expected to receive down the road in the future and they were counting it as money on hand. Contaban dinero que esperaban recibir mañana como dinero en la mano. And so they were inflating 
the value of their country, uh, company by millions and millions of dollars. Inflaban el valor de su empresa, and that then gave confidence for investors to pour all kinds of money into Enron. E invertidores estaban dando mucho dinero. But after the terrorist attacks of September 11, the economy went down, the stock market went down, and Enron went down. Después de los ataques terroristas, el 11 de septiembre, se fue para abajo la bolsa de valores de esta empresa. And in the end, Enron, this great company, declared bankruptcy. People lost millions and millions of dollars. Declararon bancarrota. Algunos perdieron millones de dólares. And worst of all, the very top echelon of Enron's leadership was convicted of all kinds of fraud and ended up in jail. So líderes se quedaron en la prisión. Enron's failure was due to a lousy accounting system. Tuvieron un sistema pobre de contabilidad. Now, as we shake our heads about Enron and say, oh, how foolish could they be? Decimos que necios. We need to also this morning, I think, confront something. And that is that, like Enron, we are lousy accountants. Como Enron, somos pobres contadores. We are lousy accountants. I want to explain what I mean. The fifth partition of the Lord's Prayer really exposes the problem that we are lousy accountants. La quinta petición nos expone el problema. The fifth petition is, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Perdónanos nuestras deudas como también perdonamos a nuestros deudores. The problem is we do not have any ability to take into account to truly understand the massive infinite, incalculable sin debt that we have incurred with God. We don't get that. No vemos lo, lo grande, lo incalculable que es nuestra deuda de pecado con Dios. Now let me back up just a little bit. Last week we talked about the fourth petition, give us today our daily bread. Hablamos antes de, danos hoy nuestro pan cotidiano. And in that petition we said that in part, what we're saying to God is, God, give us today what we need to be with you tomorrow. Give us today what we need to be with you in eternity. En parte decimos, danos hoy lo que necesitamos para mañana, para la eternidad. Give us Jesus. Jesus, we said, is our, our manna from heaven. He's our daily bread. Jesús es nuestro maná, el pan del cielo. And the reason Jesus is that is that Jesus gives us today what we need to be with God forever tomorrow. And what that is, is the forgiveness that we need. The forgiveness of that massive sin debt. Jesús nos da el perdón de esa deuda que tenemos pendiente con Dios. Reconciliation with God. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, the Bible says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. How? Not counting people's sins against them. Dios en Cristo estaba reconciliando el mundo consigo mismo, no tomándole en cuenta sus pecados. 
It is through Jesus then that we can have today what we need tomorrow to be with God, forgiveness. And we talked last week how Jesus has supplied what we lack. He's supplied the perfect life that we were supposed to live. He's supplied the perfect sacrifice in our place. He has supplied in his resurrection the new life that we need but can never supply for ourselves. En su vida perfecta, su muerte perfecta, su resurrección perfecta, Jesús suple nuestra necesidad. He supplies that. And because of that, we're forgiven. God in Jesus wipes our slate clean. He wipes our sin debt off the books. Dios borra la deuda que tenemos pendiente con Dios. And we are not only having our sin debt wiped off, we are clean. We are reconciled with him. And so it's because Jesus is our daily bread now and, and for tomorrow that we can then go to the next part of the Lord's Prayer and say, forgive us our debts. Ahora podemos orar, perdónanos nuestras deudas. Wipe out our sin debt, God. But as we pray that, Jesus is also teaching us to take into account something else that's very important. Tenemos que tener en cuenta otra cosa. And that is, as we pray, forgive us our debts, wipe out our sin debt, we are also being called to give up the accounting business. Tenemos que dejar de contar las cuentas. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Literally what we're saying is God, release us from owing even as we release others who owe us. Líbranos de, 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 de la endeudar como hemos uh, dejado de, de que los otros nos endeuden. Here's the problem. We are lousy accountants. If there are any CPAs in the room, I don't mean to insult you, but you are probably a lousy accountant. Somos pobres contadores. Why is that? It's because we as human beings have this tendency to inflate or rather minimize the impact of our own sin. As we look at the books of our lives and what we've done, we, we tend to minimize the debt that we have with God, to minimize what we have failed to do. Minimizamos nuestros pecados. We say, I slipped up, I tripped up, I messed up, I made a little mistake, a little white lie. I shaded the truth. I borrowed something permanently. But we have our ways of kind of cooking the books and minimizing the debt we have with God. Maquillamos los libros para mostrar nuestra deuda con Dios que no es tan grande. But on the other side of the ledger, on the accounts receivable side of the ledger, we have the ability to inflate the value of what others owe us. Inflamos el valor de lo que los otros nos deben. That person robbed me. That person violated me. That person is, is a cheat. That person is evil. That person is scum. That person is slime. I will never forgive what they have done to me. Esa persona chusma terrible nunca voy a perdonar lo que me han hecho. Now, just a few chapters later, Matthew 18, Jesus illustrates the problem here through a parable that he tells. Una parábola de Jesús de Mateo 18, he tells about a servant 
A servant who owed his master the equivalent, roughly put, of 10,000 bags of gold. Un siervo le, le debe a su señor 10,000 bolsas de oro. In verse 26, it says, the servant fell on his knees before the master and said, be patient with me. I will pay back everything. El siervo se postró delante de él. Tenga paciencia conmigo. Le rogó. Se lo pagaré todo. I'll pay you back. Yeah, right. 10,000 bags of gold. Not on your salary, bud. It's an incalculable debt. Es una deuda que no se puede pagar. And yet it says in verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, let him go. El Señor se compadeció de su siervo, le perdonó la deuda y lo dejó en libertad. He was free. The books were wiped clean. But then that servant goes out and there's another servant who owes him, it says, just a few silver coins. Hay otro siervo que le debe al primero unas moneditas de plata. He reaches out, grabs him by the neck, and chokes him and says, Pay me back what you owe. Págame lo que me debes. Lo dice. Le dice así, estrangulándolo. And the man, like him, says, Be patient with me. I'll get the money to you. Ten paciencia conmigo. And the first servant says, No way. You owe me. You pay. You got to do the time. You got to do the crime. He throws him in jail. Lo tira a la cárcel. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and told the master everything. Cuando los otros siervos vieron esto, se entristecieron mucho y fueron a contarle a su señor lo que había sucedido. Then the master called the first servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't I have had mercy? Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you, siervo malvado, le increpó el Señor, te perdoné toda aquella deuda porque me lo suplicaste. ¿No debías tú también haberte compadecido de tu com compañero así como yo me compadecí de ti? And in his anger, the master turned the man over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back the debt. Y lo, echaron, lo echó en la cárcel para ser torturado hasta que pagara todo lo que debía. And then Jesus in verse 35 says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Así también mi Padre Celestial los tratará a ustedes a menos que cada uno perdone de, su, de corazón a su hermano. There's another similar word from Jesus on this. Otra cosa parecida. And it's back where we came from. Matthew 6, verse 14. Mateo 6, 14. Now, it's interesting Jesus presents the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. And he makes no comment about what he teaches except for one part of the Lord's Prayer. One part. And this is the part he comments on. Es la única parte de la cual comenta Jesús algo después de enseñar el Padre Nuestro. It's this part about forgiveness. He says, if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also Forgive you. Si perdona a otros sus ofensas, también los perdonará a ustedes su Padre Celestial. But if you do not forgive people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Si no perdona a otros sus ofensas, tampoco su Padre les perdonará a ustedes las suyas. Here's the deal. We 
are lousy accountants. Somos pobres contadores. We're lousy at keeping score, and we are lousy at settling scores. Somos pobres para contar los pecados y para vengarnos de ellos. And it is because we are lousy accountants that we can explain much of the chaos and, and the pain and the violence of our world. You see, one nation gets hurt by another nation, so they're going to pay them back, right? Una nación quiere vengarse de otra, otra nación. What do they do? They pay back, but then there's always a little bit of interest on top. There's always just a little bit more. Vengeance. Siempre hay una represalia y aún más de interés. And then they receive that payback, and then they're upset because of the interest, so they pay back with a little bit more of interest. Y ellos pagan con un poco más de interés. And so it goes back and forth between nations and between people. He hurt me, so I'm going to hurt him back plus some. She did me wrong. I'm going to do her back, and then some. Nos vengamos, pero con interés. And so it goes. Here's the thing. It's hard work to keep track of all the multiple ways that people have hurt us, cheated us, insulted us, violated us, hated us. It's hard work to keep those books. Es difícil, trabajo arduo, siempre contar cómo las otras personas nos han insultado y nos han lastimado. It takes enormous amounts of energy to be this kind of an accountant. It takes all kinds of energy spent in anger and in bitterness and in, in resentment. Hay mucha energía que se saca de enojo, coraje, rencor. And in the end, it costs more than it's worth. Cuesta más de la cuenta. Unforgiveness costs us. It costs us joy because we're obsessed on that person who's hurt us. It costs us freedom because our every waking moment is taken up with how we're going to deal with that. Nos cuesta el gozo, la libertad. Ultimately, Jesus says, it can cost your soul. Te puede costar hasta el alma. So when we cook the books to inflate our own value and decrease the value of others, when we cook the books to minimize our own sin and increase the sins of others, what we end up doing is cooking ourselves. Cuando maquillamos los libros para, para inflar nuestros, uh, nuestro bien y, y, y para poner abajo a nuestro hermano, nos mentimos a nosotros mismos. There's a Bible scholar by the name of Tom Wright who, as I was reading on studying for this message, I found this quote, it knocked my socks off. He said, here's the deal. The heart that is not open to forgiveness will itself remain closed when God's forgiveness is offered. El corazón no abierto al perdón se mantiene cerrado cuando no se le ofrece el perdón de Dios. It's not just that God won't forgive you if you don't forgive. It's that he can't, or rather you can't, receive it. No lo puedes recibir. So this request, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
What's behind this, I think, is that we are being challenged to learn a new accounting system. Esta petición nos está retando a aprender un nuevo sistema de contabilidad. A new accounting system. And this new accounting system involves increasingly taking into account the massive sin debt that we owe God, that we can never repay him. We need him. And it's also at the same time canceling the debts of others. Es darnos cuenta de la deuda que tenemos con Dios al cancelar las deudas de otras personas. We understand the true picture. We owe God 10,000 bags of gold and more. Le debemos a Dios 10,000 bolsas de oro. That other person owes us a few silver coins. La otra persona solo unas moneditas. But you see, if you're an accountant, you understand something right there. If I owe someone 10,000 bags of gold and they owe me just a few silver coins, those silver coins don't belong to me. They belong to the person I owe. Esas monedas pertenecen al que yo debo. We are not owed anything except to receive the just punishment of our sin. That's the only thing we're owed. A nosotros no se nos debe nada. All of it is owed to God. All of it is owed to God. Todo se debe a Dios. So when we forgive, we need to understand what we're doing. We have so many misconceptions. To forgive does not mean to say to another person, what you did to me was okay. Because it's not okay. Perdonar no es decir lo que me hiciste está bien. It is not to say, to forgive is not to say, that was no big deal. Because often it is a big deal. It's not to say, that did not hurt me. Because many times it did hurt me. That is not to say, you should not have to suffer the natural consequences of your sin. You should not have to go to jail. You should not have to be arrested. You should not have to lose your job. There, there are consequences. That's not forgiveness. Perdón no es decir, no tienes que sufrir las consecuencias de tus pecados. Forgiveness is really transferring that debt from our ledger to God's. Es transferir, transferir la deuda a los libros de Dios. Basically, it's to say that thing you did to me, that debt, no longer concerns me. It's not my business. God's in charge of that. Dios está a cargo de esto. Ya no me preocupa a mí. And he will do what's right with it. He will take care of that debt way better than I could. If this person is willing and able to receive God's forgiveness, God will take care of that debt through the blood of his son Jesus, and he will pay it completely. Si esa persona confía en el Señor Jesús, Dios va a pagar esa deuda con la sangre de Jesús. If that person cannot or will not, then God will see that just punishment is rendered, completely just, not my kind of justice, his kind, in his time, his way. Either way, this debt doesn't concern me. Not my business. Y si esa persona no se arrepiente, Dios va a castigar. No, no yo. You see what happens when you do that? We're free. We're free 
I don't have to be in the sin accounting business anymore. Wow. No tengo que contar los pecados. And we're free now to take up another accounting system. Hay otro sistema de contabilidad. And under this system, the question is not, what does that person need to give back to me? The question then becomes, what can I give to someone else? What can I give? La pregunta es, lo, no, lo que, ¿qué deben a mí? ¿Qué puedo dar? Look with me, if you would, at Romans 13.8. Romanos 13.8. This is what the scripture says. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves has fulfilled the law. No tengan deudas pendientes con nadie a no ser la de amarse unos a otros. Jesus cancels our debt. That's what forgiveness means. It means to release or cancel or to let go. Perdonar es, es soltar, dejar. And Jesus cancels our debt, can, releases us from owing in every aspect, Paul says, except one. The only thing we owe to say is an eternal debt of gratitude to Jesus Christ. Lo único que debemos es una deuda de gratitud con Jesús. And that doesn't pay for our sin. It's just what we owe. Thanks. And how do we show that thanks? ¿Cómo manifestar esa gratitud? Loving God and loving other people. The one way I am continually in debt is in the debt to love more, to care more, to give more in Jesus' name. And that's why 2 Corinthians says, when we, when we are reconciled in Christ, God gives us a message of reconciliation. Tenemos en Cristo un mensaje de la reconciliación. It is actually, as we learn to forgive, we are proclaiming Jesus. We're proclaiming the gospel. Proclamamos el mensaje de Cristo al perdonar a los demás. Second Samuel chapter 9, we find a very interesting story. I've just been reading about David this week in 1 Samuel, but this is in 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 9, 1. There we find David, the king of Israel, and what has happened is that Saul, the previous king, has died. Rey Saul ha, ha muerto. If you know the story, Saul, the king of Israel, Hounded David, hunted David, harassed David, hated David. He tried to kill David. At every turn, he made life very difficult for David. Saul cazaba David y quería matarlo siempre. When Saul died and David became king, the natural thing for David to do would have been to wipe out all of Saul's remaining family. Cuando murió Saúl y David se hizo rey, hubiera matado a la familia de Saúl. I mean, that's what kings did back then. New king comes to power, get rid of everybody in the old king's family. Just wipe them out. That would have been the natural thing. But it's interesting to note, that's not what David does. No es lo que hace David. Look at 2 Samuel 9.1. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? For Jonathan's sake, Rey David averiguó si había alguien de la familia de Saúl a quien pudiera beneficiar en memoria de Jonathan. So he says, is there anyone I can be kind to for Jonathan's sake? A quien puedo beneficiar 
en memoria de Jonatán. Who was Jonathan? Jonathan was the son of King Saul. Era el hijo de Saul, Jonatán. And Jonathan was, was David's best, best friend. Uh, the Bible says that their hearts were knit together. They, they had a deep love for one another. Jonatán amaba a David, se aferró a su corazón. And Jonathan was the one who actually protected David from Saul, hid David. He was loyal to David. He was happier that David would become king, even though he was supposedly the rightful heir. Jonathan protegía a David, aunque él iba a ser el rey. No, él prefirió a David que a sí mismo. He preferred David above himself. And so now when David becomes king, the question he asks is not, who can I kill for Saul's sake? His question is, who can I bless for Jonathan's sake? No dice, ¿a quién puedo matar en memoria de Saúl? Más bien, ¿a quién puedo matar en memoria? ¿A quién puedo beneficiar en memoria de Jonathan? In other words, as David did the accounting, he valued the love of Jonathan for him way more than the hatred of Saul. El amor de Jonathan valía más que el odio. People of God, we have a friend who has loved us closer than a brother. His heart has been knit to our heart. Tenemos un amigo que nos ama mejor que un hermano. And, and even though he was the rightful king, he was willing to to suffer and bleed and die upon a cross, the torturous death that we deserved so that we could be protected, so that we could be sheltered from, from the eternal consequences of our sin. Tenemos un amigo que murió en nuestro lugar, aun siendo el verdadero rey, murió para protegernos del mal. And that friend is Jesus. Jesus is that friend. Jesús es ese amigo. And his love and forgiveness is way more valuable, way more valuable than all of the hurt and evil we have suffered at the hands of others. Su amor y perdón vale mucho más que lo que hemos sufrido. And that's how we can forgive. But Pastor Russ, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what that person's done to me. You don't know how they've done me wrong. You don't know what I've had to suffer. No sabes lo que tenido que sufrir, pastor, como que esa persona me ha hecho. And I can tell you the truth, I don't. I have no idea what you may have suffered. You don't know what I've suffered. Here's what I do know. Si se esto. Whatever you or I may have suffered at the hands of other people, Jesus has suffered more because of us. Jesús sufrió más por nuestra cuenta. And so the real question is this. Who can we show kindness to for Jesus' sake? ¿A quién podemos beneficiar en memoria de Jesús? Who can we show love to for Jesus' sake? ¿A quién podemos amar por el memoria de, la memoria de Jesús? 
Jesus' answer is you can even show love to the very people who did you wrong, to your enemies. Hasta tus enemigos, dice Jesús. That, folks, is a radical accounting system. Es un sistema de contabilidad muy radical. So we need to ask Jesus for help on this one. I include myself in that. We need to learn this new system, to, to recognize how free we are from our sin debt, even as we work to cancel the debts of others. And so here's what I want to propose. Es lo que quiero proponer. We're going to read a little bit of what the catechism has to say about the Lord's Prayer. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And then today, there may be someone in your life that you are struggling to forgive. You've got the books. You know exactly. You've got it counted down to the penny what they've done to you. But God's calling you and saying, it's time to forgive. It's, it's time to transfer that over to God's ledger. We want to help you pray through that and take the steps forward to do that. If you need prayer, I'm going to invite you over into the corner there where those tall tables are, and we're going to have some people ready to pray for you, to help you with that, to encourage you. Because it's not easy. I get it. Vamos a orar. Si necesitas ayuda, con perdonar a otra persona, vamos a tener a personas allá disponibles para orar con ustedes. So I want to invite you to stand with me. Pongámonos de pie. We're going to get that question from the catechism on the, on the screen. We'll read it first in English, and then we'll read it in Spanish. And I invite you to read the question and the answer with me. Let's read together. What does the fifth petition mean? And the answer, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors means because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do, or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us, as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. In español, leamos, ¿Qué significa la quinta petición? Perdónanos nuestras deudas como también hemos perdonado a nuestros deudores significa Por la sangre de Cristo, no tengas contra nosotros, pobres pecadores que somos, cualquiera de los pecados que cometemos, o el mal que constantemente se aferra a nosotros. Perdónanos como estamos plenamente determinados, como evidencia de tu gracia en nosotros, a perdonar a nuestros prójimos. So let's get the Lord's Prayer on the screen and let's pray this together in Vamos a orar en el idioma que, que escojan. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.